0: Welcome to episode number nine of the Dads on Tap podcast. My name is Scott Maudsley, and I'm your host for our podcast and the founder of Dads on Tap, a nonprofit I started to help craft better dads. If you want to learn more about us and about our mission, you can feel free to check us out at dadsontap.com. I want to start today by giving an, an opening shout out to our friends at Lean In Golf. I'm actually wearing a cool golf hat that they sent me, and I want to thank you guys for your generosity and for being a follower and supporter Of Dads on Tap. You know, at the Dads on Tap podcast, our commitment is to have conversations about things that are really practical for us as dads. And today, we're going to have a great conversation about our kids and technology with Babak Mastagimi. Babak holds a doctorate in educational leadership and a master's in public policy from Harvard University. He also has a bachelor's degree in economics and international relations from Johns Hopkins University, he presently serves as the Assistant Superintendent for Elementary Education and Student Support for Gwinnett County Public Schools right here in the county in which I live in here in Georgia. And so, as you can tell, he's got plenty of bio street cred. In fact, bio it was a little bit long. I didn't want to take the whole time reading through your biography, so we'll make sure we post that to our show notes. <laughs> but I want to say today, most importantly... Babak is my good friend, and I'm honored to talk to him today. Babak, welcome to the Dads on Tap podcast. Thanks for being here.
1: Hey, thanks so much for having me, Scott.
0: Absolutely. Well, you have a lot of titles, and I'm excited today (laughs) about the conversation we're going to have. But for me, those titles don't define you. For me, what defines you is your heart for others and your desire to learn and grow and help others do the same. So You know, Not to embarrass you, but I was on my drive in with my son Silas today to school and he was asking me about my day and I said, I get to interview one of my favorite people, not only just because of how you think and how you challenge and encourage me, but I told him, I said, Babak is one of the kindest men that I know. so (laughs) I appreciate that, Scott. And I'll tell you what, the most important title I do have
1: is dad, right? And I think that's really important to remember that those things matter a lot more than all those fancy titles at work or at school or wherever else you are.
0: Absolutely, man. Well, along those lines, our topic for today's podcast is kids and technology, and I cannot wait for us to have some conversation here because of the world that you live in and the things that you're thinking about and how we as dads approach and handle technology in the lives of our kids. But before we get there, I always like to begin our podcast by asking our guests about their dads because so much of who we are as dads and men are shaped by our dads for better and sometimes for worse. So, Tell us a little bit about your dad and your relationship with him. Sure. So I've been really blessed with an amazing father and grandfather
1: on my dad's side. My grandfather is 95 years old, still going, still doing great. And so I've had really two really strong role models of great fathers in my life. It's interesting. You know, I came from an immigrant family, from a refugee family. So like our relationship with our fathers is a little different than like the modern American relationship in the sense of it was very much around like pushing you really hard to do good things for the world, right? But over time, and especially as my father's become a grandfather and those sorts of things, it's been really neat to just get to know each other. You know, my dad is one of the most humble yet impressive people I've met in my life. That's a skill and trait I wish I had, and I'm working on uh, every single day. He's one of those guys that for me, he's always been dependable, like he's only doing things in my best interest. And I've always known that, which has been very, very helpful. He, he wasn't when I was growing up the most effusive, right, in terms of appreciation and those sorts of things. But I think that's kind of what made me who I am. That, it made me sort of self-motivated and those sorts of things. So, so yeah, I'm really blessed to have had a really great father and grandfather, and to have both of them as role models still to this day.
0: Well, I love that, and I love the story. And and I know some of our dads out there listening can relate to being a, a child of immigrants. And I'm curious, you know, as you just think about your dad, I mean, that's always, you know, it's a fascinating and sometimes a harrowing journey immigrating and experiencing all that, is you watched your dad go through a lot of those changes and transitions and challenges. And, you know, what's maybe one or two things that stand out to you? There might even be a story attached to it that's just like, man, I I learned how to be a man and a dad from my dad, maybe in a specific way. Sure, absolutely. I mean, I think piece number one, the way that
1: my dad defined being a father for me growing up was that being a dad is about helping the other people around you and making them more successful. And that's both like your immediate sort of children, but also your broader family. So when my father came to the United States, he ended up being sort of like the anchor that was able to bring the rest of our family as refugees from Iran. And so he really was in a position where like his sisters had to rely on him financially for a while as they got on their feet. And then later on bringing our grandparents over or my grandparents over and those sorts of things. In, our, in terms of the extended family, he always set that example of like being a dad means like leading, guiding, and supporting and making everyone else in your family successful. But the neat part for me is it didn't just stop at the family level like he did. And he led by that same example for beyond our family. Essentially, you know, my dad was a professor. He just retired in May. And so we had like generations of graduate students come through our household. Right. And in many ways, he served as a dad for them, too. Many of them were international students. Some of them weren't. Right. But they would come. They'd see a great role model of like how to lead a, a family and those sorts of pieces. And then he would sort of reciprocate by helping them out with things and just showing them and guiding the the steps and uh, helping them with their children and those sorts of things. So so for me, the sort of big lesson that my dad taught was really being a dad is about serving other people and making sure to take care of your people, whoever your people are, however you define that.
0: That's awesome, man. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, if we don't learn how to serve as a dad, we're going to
1: struggle a bit on
0: that. <laughs> Absolutely.
1: But and it is real. Right. But I think part of that, too, is it's not. Like you do have to give, but you also have to sort of give yourself time to recuperate, right? And sometimes that just is like that time when you're mowing the lawn by yourself, right? You're like, oh look, like I get this moment, just like get something done and like I'm pouring into myself. But I think that's one of the biggest lessons my father taught me.
0: That's great, man. Well, you know, one of the things we say at Dads on Tap is we want to talk about great ways of being a dad and how we can be a better dad. But we often say that we could talk just as long about kind of the just the dumb stuff that we do as dads. And so I know it's always a delicate conversation. You love your dad, have a great relationship with your dad and none of us are perfect, but is there anything that you kind of experienced or saw in your dad that's just an adjustment? You're saying, this is something I'm doing a little bit differently than my dad did when I think about my kids and our relationship. Sure. That's a
1: real great question. And I think for me, it's actually about just like the sort of generational approach from one generation to the next coming into the United States, right? Like your first generation of people who, are, who get here, or just trying to survive, like, hey, how do we make sure that we have like the basics, like you need food, shelter, like you need people to be taken care of. And then for our family, education was a big piece there, right? But your hands are somewhat bound, because you have to make certain decisions based on only those pieces, right? And so for, for my dad, one of the big pushes was early on, like, hey, you need to become a doctor or an engineer or something like that, right? And that's a very, very common thing for immigrants, especially from the Middle East and Asia. And for me, like I ended up sort of failing in that sense, right? Like I did not go the doctor or engineer route. Most of the rest of my family did, right? And thankfully, you know, it took a moment to go, oh, like, no, this is a meaningful career pathway and, and those sorts of pieces. But I think for the next generation, where thankfully, because of the hard work of my dad and his generation, we have some more flexibility into what we can let our kids do and be, right? And I think for me, one of the big pieces is figuring out ways to let my kids Really deeply explore what they care about, uh, what problems they want to solve in the world, and then supporting them like that. But I also know that that's an immense privilege that I have just because of the sacrifices that my dad and my my mom made, and the rest of my family made when we came here.
0: Yeah, Bob, I love that reflection, and it's something that I reflect on. My dad passed away in the last couple of years, but we, even though it wasn't an immigrant family, there was a lot of struggle around finances and job and all that. And, and I'm I'm often reminded, even especially in these days, that because of what my parents went through and struggled, it gave me new opportunities and kind of the responsibility that I carry to make the most of some of those opportunities. So let's talk about, take a moment to let you brag on your family. You're a husband and a dad. Tell us a little bit about your wife and your kiddos. Sure. So I have an interesting family. So my family
1: actually kind of started before my wife and I were together. And by that, I mean, I was a teacher back in Mississippi and I took in a couple of my former students to just sort of help them through life. I was a fifth grade science and social studies teacher. And there were just some families who are hard pressed for time and needed just some extra hands. And I was sort of that sort of co-parent and helper. When my wife and I got married, we sort of formally took in a couple of those students who are my daughters now, and they're sort of often doing well. They're all in their mid-20s and sort of figuring out life and, and kind of have their own families or, or going from there. But then I also have two biological kids. So I have a, a seventh grader and a second grader. They are fantastic kids, but they are brothers and sisters, right? So you get all... Oh, yeah. I've got a son and daughter. I know. <laughs> Some days you're looking at me like, wow, look at how, the, how great I did. Another day you're like, oh my gosh, what am I doing here? But they're fantastic. You know, my son is really into like robotics and stuff like that, but also band and music. And he plays sort of soccer on the side. My daughter is really into speaking other languages. So she's in like a dual language program and learning Spanish. And we speak Farsi with her at home a little bit. And she's just a rock star. She wants to be an astronaut and she's wanted to be an astronaut now for like five years. I don't understand how that works because she's only seven, but it's like, all right. And then my wife is probably the most amazing partner a man could ask for, right? She, She is the reason why we've been able to do so many things together. And we have this underlying agreement where we're essentially like, look, between the two of us, how can we best serve the world? And what that means is that sometimes I need to put my career on the back burner so that she can accelerate and do things. And then other times it's the other way around, but we see it as like the collective impact we're having, not as like what one individual did. And so she's an educator now and is doing remarkable work, helping students sort of catch up who are behind or not doing well academically. So yeah, and then we're all doing all this in the midst of, we have nine chickens at home, and I have a big garden, and so I have a lot of uh, ladies running through the house, although most of it is these little hens running all over the place, but, but yeah, having a good time, having a great time.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, you know, one of my favorite Keith Urban song lines is they say that behind every good man is a good woman, but I think that's a lie because when I think of you, I'd rather have you by my side, right? And I, I think it is that partnership. <laughs> That is so important. So, and hey, we're gonna actually, we're gonna ask you today in our conversation to put on those two hats because obviously there's a lot we're gonna learn from you about technology, the world that you live in, and but also we want, I want to have some questions about you as a dad, how you think about your kiddos to make it personal. So, you know, I can't think of a more important and frankly a more difficult conversation for dads than how to te- handle technology in the lives of our kids. I know you invest a lot of time in your leadership world thinking about technology related specifically to the next generation. Can you just tell us a little bit, give us a little overview of the work that you're doing each day around technology and engaging the next generation?
1: Sure, absolutely. So this is an area that's of particular concern to me, right? Because my job, as I see it, is to make sure that our children are prepared for their future, right? And the future and honestly, the present is rapidly changing right now. I mean, I was in a Mexican restaurant the other night and like a robot came and brought me my food. Right. Like I'm like, what is happening here? Right. Like right here. I'm not in some like Silicon Valley or something else. Right. And as long as you get the chips and salsa
0: coming, it was fine. right?
1: Yeah. I'm like, OK, like this is pretty sweet. Right. Or like, you know, I'm like writing uh, up a document on Google Docs and all of a sudden it's giving me like whole paragraphs of what can come next. Right. And it's just like a fascinating world to live in. And so my big push for kids is how do we make sure that they're ready for their future? And we recognize that their future is rapidly changing in terms of technology. But for me, that means a combination of like, it's not just about the technology. It's like more about the human skill of how do we create? How do we think? How do we problem solve? Because the technologies are going to change by the time they actually get out in the world, right? So, like, my, you know, if, if you have a kindergartner today, I want to say they graduate from high school, in theory, in, like, 2036, right? So, like, imagine, that's, like, 13 years from, imagine how different the world's going to be. Like, imagine how different the world is now compared to 13 years ago, right? And it's changing even faster. And so, for me, in terms of technology here, we've been focusing a lot on artificial intelligence and future readiness and what does that mean for right. a student. What are the skills they're going to need to sort of double down on? What are the skills that we sort of don't need to worry about as much anymore? And so that we can create a well-rounded kid they can succeed in their future.
0: That's awesome. man. you know, in this whole world, in the world of technology, especially AI, you know, one of the things that if you listen to, goodness, certainly the news outlets, but even beyond that, just the general conversation across communities and a lot of the conversation I hear about parents is all the doom and gloom and how this is just terrible and how it's, you know, and, and, Well, I think you and I share not only a wiring, but I think also just a perspective that, you know, we're kind of glass half full people. And it's like, man, the opportunities that we have, and we can talk about the challenges, but the opportunities that we have are just incredible and what our kids may get to experience and how it can benefit them. So I know that we're both a huge proponent of technology. I wanted to start with kind of the glass half full conversation of, what are some of the reasons that you're encouraged by what's happening with technology right now?
1: Sure. So let me give first like an analogy of sorts, right? Like we benefit from nuclear technology today in remarkable ways, right? Like if you have, God forbid, cancer or something like that, if you have an internal hemorrhage or something like that, we have technology that can now view that and make it so that your doctor can make you better faster and sometimes fully heal you, right? But that same technology is the technology that caused hundreds of thousands of people to die at Hiroshima and Nagasaki and has this like nuclear cloud over us sort of in perpetuity where at any moment like humanity could end. Right. And I think that's almost the case with any type of technology. Right. And like my goal, the reason that I see the positive in things is I think as a society, as people, we can pick the direction of what happens and where we go. Right. Like AI could be terrible for the world if we don't regulate it appropriately, if we don't use it appropriately. But AI could also be really fantastic for the world and open up opportunities that we've never imagined, right? Like imagine if you can get like a cancer diagnosis almost like the day after the tumor starts. Like what can we do then versus at the point where you're at stage four, right? Like those sorts of pieces that are already proven by AI to be able to sort of ID those things are just the sort of tip of the iceberg, right? And I think of things like, All the things that we can do scientifically now, because we have things like spreadsheets and calculators, where before there's literally a a person named a computer, who they were their person who would run all those data points, right? And it would just limit how many cool things we could do, but because we had to sort of hand calculate everything. So I really think that we're at a moment with technology where it can go one of two directions. And unfortunately, or fortunately, we have a big role as dads in making sure that it goes right for our children, but also where it goes right in terms of how we vote and how we support or don't support things that are going on, right? And so there are ways that I think we can work with our kids to make sure that technology is used in positive ways that bring value to their lives. And then there are ways that if we're not careful, technology can be the bane of our existence. And that thing where we're like, oh, my God, I wish this thing would just disappear. So yeah, so I have a lot of hope, but it's not like it's hope with action.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, that's great. And we're gonna get into a lightning round later where we talk about some things like social media and, you know, technology use and all that. It's so easy. I think in the complexity of our world today, one of the challenges for us as dads is it's so easy to default to hitting the easy button, right? Like, just go watch the TV or oh, just do this or oh my goodness, you're 11 and you've been bothering me for a year to be on social media. Okay, just go right and just so You know, I always say my wife and I always say, hey, we're parenting over here like (laughs) we're not getting it all right, but we're staying engaged. Right. We're staying involved. And, you know, I think as dads, it's so important. We cannot disconnect in a connected world. Right. Absolutely. I was actually having a conversation with my son the
1: other day. So my son's 11. Right. And he's like right on that verge of like, you know, all the whole conversation around cell phones and all those sorts of things. And, like, a couple of things, and this is, like, as a person who's engaged with, like, tech companies and stuff like that on a regular basis, there are some things that are just true, right? Like, apps and phones and things like that are built to addict us. Like, that's literally their job. That's, and, and not only that, but they're specifically built to addict children with the intent of, if through the child, getting us as customers, right? I.e., we end up paying the bill for all those whatever Roblox and all the other stuff that the kids are doing, Minecraft, those sorts of things, right? Now, those things alone aren't bad, right? They aren't inherently bad. Like, it's not inherently bad. And I want people to be very, I want to be very clear. I'm not anti-technology, right? But I'm also not pro-everything, right? So we have some very serious data around social media in kids, right? Where it's like, hey, guys, like the longer you delay social media, the bigger or the less the chances that your child is going to be anxious and have depression and like psychological disorders. And a lot of that's actually true for adults as well. There's like a study recently around like the impacts of the number of hours you're on social media versus your mental health, right? For adults, right? And we're people who like have had some history and background and kind of know ourselves ish, right? But what's an 11-year-old kid or a 12-year-old kid or even an 18-year-old kid really going to know about how this is impacting them, right? And so the thing I always think about when I'm thinking about technology isn't about whether it's good or bad. It's how are we using it, right? So there's a difference between like screen time where you're like using it to replace yourself or to replace human interaction and screen time that ends up engaging or building human interaction. So like no one's telling people, kids like, no, don't get on FaceTime with grandma. Right. No. FaceTime with grandma is a really great interactive tool. Like that's a really positive thing. Like, please, like the more the merrier. Right. But if you're like, yeah, just go like jump on this app all day and just sit there, then that's like a very different, you're losing that human connection, your kid feels separated from you. And so something I recently started doing when my son was around nine years old, he was interested in playing computer games. I'm like, okay, cool. And instead of just like get letting him buy whatever, I was like, let's do one that we can play together. Or something that, like, connects to other things. And so we actually, like, I've sort of rekindled my desire to play video games and computer games and stuff, you know, within reason with him as well. Again, modeling, hey, like, you can have fun. You can do cool stuff. And there's a time where you disconnect and you go outside and play. So, yeah, it's really complicated.
0: Well, I think that's one of the things I love, Babak, is the conversation about, I mean, you live in this world... And knowing how you're thinking about this with your young kids is so important. You know, it's funny, last week, my 18-year-old son, who we slow played social media, we slow played the Apple, you know, the iPhone. My daughter, who's 13, still doesn't have an iPhone. There's a a phone service called Gab, G-A-B-B, that doesn't give you access to internet, but it does allow you to text and call and music and all that. And she still has that. And we're just going to ride that train as long as we can, you know, but my son was watching something. I think it was on, I forget what it was on. And he's just, dad, he's like, how do they know exactly the right videos to send me the things that I actually like? I'm like, man, they know that they're tracking what you watch and they're feeding you more.
1: And that's actually a conversation I had with my son and something that I think we as adults need to also think about is that like what videos show up or even what shows up on our feed and stuff isn't an accident. Is based on an algorithm that's taking us down a certain pathway based on what we've said we've liked or how long we spend hovering on the screen, right? And so my son actually was doing research for a class and he started getting on these videos about the Vietnam War, right? Like on YouTube. There's nothing more dangerous than Vietnam War videos on YouTube, right? Because it starts going down some crazy pathways, right? And so he starts and I sort of let him sort of tinker along and he comes back and he's starting to state facts to me about the war. And I'm like, are you sure? He's like, what do you mean? They said in the video. And I'm like, ah, but who is that? He's like, I don't know. So it ended up opening up this conversation of, hey, like you find you can listen to whoever, but you got to actually critically think, are they right? Are they telling you a lie? Are they trying to convince you of something? And I think in that case, it's kind of political, right? But even with our young girls, like when you're watching an influencer, are they actually that happy? Or are they just trying to make you think that they're happy? And actually they're not super happy and they're trying to convince you because they need to sell a product, right? And so like having those open conversations with kids, well, you know, we used to do that with TV and advertisements. Like, oh, don't believe everything you see on TV, right? Like just because they want you to buy this cereal doesn't mean it's actually good for you, right? But I think we sort of lost that with the internet because like there's just too many things. But I think having those open conversations, even, I mean, honestly, I started having them with my seven-year-old daughter because my hope is not to prevent you from getting on stuff. My hope is that you make the choice, that you're like, yeah, I realize that that's not good for me and that I shouldn't do that. But yeah, it's
0: the tightrope, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, we, you know, one of the, the conversations we we're going to have, we're already into it, is just, you know, what are some of the things that you're concerned about regards to technology? We're already getting into this. You know, but when I think about our kids, what are, so right now there's a lot of conversations around AI, just around the ethics of it, Right. And there are some very important, sophisticated conversations that need to be had that, frankly, the development of the technology is way outpacing the conversations. In the Hebrew scriptures and Proverbs, it says, wise planning will keep you safe. And I don't know in technology if there's a lot of wise planning. What are some things that we as dads, as those issues are being worked out, what are some of the conversations or some of the things we need to be paying attention to that right now maybe our technology providers, right, or the things our kids are accessing are just not thinking about or or having conversations around? Sure, this is a really important question. So let me start
1: with like our sort of high schoolers and late middle schoolers. So there's a lot of technology now, things like ChatGPT, things like BARD from Google, where they're essentially like like a Google on steroids, where you can ask a question, And it will generate a never before seen, fully scoped out article or essay or whatever it is. And for better or worse, and this is something that I'm working on on our end as a school system, is that most of the questions that a kid gets asked for like an essay topic or things like that, Are so common that it can generate remarkable answers, right? And it can actually, you can actually tell it to generate one at the eighth grade level. So it doesn't look like some college level. It looks like you wrote it as an eighth grader, right? And so some people are like, Oh my gosh, this is why we need to ban all this stuff, right? And I'm like, yeah, that sounds a lot like back when we were trying to ban calculators, right? And like, you know, a calculator isn't inherently bad, right? But a kid doesn't start learning math with a calculator either. So, like, there are some basic pieces that you just got to know how to do, and then you can start using other tools to support you. But even there, we this is where it's important, like, the old responsibilities haven't died away, right? Just because you can generate a new article or an essay that no one has ever seen before and you can't catch, right? Like, their own sort of lie detectors or the, the plagiarism detectors, they don't work anymore, right? Just because you can't catch it, though, doesn't mean that it's okay, right? Right? Because before, like I could pay somebody, via, like I could go search for somebody on Google, they could write an essay for me. And no one could catch that either. But that doesn't make that okay, right? That's still plagiarism. And that still doesn't make me a better sort of thinker and doer, right? And so on all those sorts of technologies, the question I always ask is, number one, like make sure you're transparent with your kid, because your kids are using these technologies. We actually noticed there's a trend. So ChatGPT, once the end of May rolled around, their usage declined by like 40%. That doesn't happen by accident. They realize, oh my gosh, all
0: these kids must be using
1: it, like college kids, high school kids.
0: So what do you think technologists are, are gearing up and preparing for <laughs> school year? Precisely.
1: Yeah. They're prepping for the school year because they know that's what's happening, right? But I think with our kids, what that means is number one, make sure whatever school system or school you're in, make sure you like ask what the policy is or what's okay and not. But generally speaking, when there is no guidance, what I say is treat it just like another source. So if you were to go out to a website, you'd cite that you got the information from that source. Do the same thing with those sorts of engines, right? So that's like on the sort of generative AI, that sort of side of things. And then like on the social media side of things, I think there's just too much evidence that social media is bad for our kids.
0: So let me pause you there because I actually want to get to that in our lightning round. (laughs) We'll come back to that. But before we get there in the lightning round, this is so helpful for us to be thinking about as dads and the way that we need to stay engaged you know, I'm a huge proponent, just as a parent, and I know you are not only as a parent, but also the world that you live in, in school system, is how dads can be advocates for our kids in their schools, and then also partner with our schools for mutual benefit, right? Like, it's got to be a partnership. And, you know, it's interesting, I have seen different philosophies in school systems, there was a school system years ago, when my kids actually weren't in high school, but there was a high school that was like, hey, we'll talk to your kids. And, you know, we, they kind of limited parents' engagement with the school. And I happen to, my kids are now in a system where there's a lot of parent engagement, right? And I know you and I share that heart, but I would love for you as a leader within a school system, give us a couple thoughts on the best way for us as dads to be advocates for our kids in their schools.
1: Sure, absolutely. So I don't think I can say how important it is for dads to be involved in their kids' schooling in general and in their school. Right. And not just for their kid, but there's a certain value for every kid to see dads in the building. Right. Given how our sort of culture and society work, especially the elementary level and even in middle school, it's very common to see moms around. And that's great. Right. We need the more people we have, the better. But there's also to be said something to be said for that dad influence in there, especially for kids who might not have that influence in their life sort of naturally, and or who may be in like a different place with their dad. Like it's sometimes really nice to have that positive role model in the school, right? And for me, that involvement and engagement takes or can look a couple different ways, right? Like on the one hand, like there's engagement with your own particular kid, right? And that's things like, hey, like when your kid gets in trouble in school, like back up the teacher, right? Like be like, hey, no, like they have a point. Or if they're wrong, hey, teachers make mistakes, right? but here's how you can approach it. Does that make sense? Not like the, I'm going to call him up and yell at him and all that sort of stuff. Right, or send an nasty email. <laughs> yeah, because then that teaches your kid, oh, I just have to tell dad and then he'll get the teacher in trouble and then I can keep acting the way I am acting, right? And even when something's really frustrating, like I often tell my student or my children rather, that sometimes the lesson you're learning in class isn't just the academic one. Sometimes it's being with like a teacher that you don't get along with, right? That's part of learning in life. Like how do I deal with people who maybe even have authority over me who I don't completely jive with? Like, how do I interact? How do I make that work anyways, right? So I think that part's critical in terms of like working with just your kid, right? The second piece, though, is I think that circle of influence should also expand to like your kids' friends and like the general community, right? Like we need dads to step up as volunteers and not just in the school building, but with those organizations that are attached to school buildings, right? Like go be a coach, be a scout leader, be an assistant scout leader. Heck, if you can't even be a leader because you have too many other things, just show up and help, right? So like with me, my son is in Scouts, my daughter is in Scouts, and and like I literally don't like I don't know my schedule well enough to be able to say I can commit to every single Monday at seven. Right. But every single Monday that I can be there, I'm there and I'm just helping out with whatever. Hey, you need me to help serve food. You need me to do whatever. Now, there's some people who have more sort of regular schedules and they can commit to, hey, like I'm going to see this soccer team through for the whole season. That's amazing. And that actually brings big impacts on the school because those bigger social networks is are the sort of feelings and the relationships that kids bring to school in the school building. And then the third thing is that pretty much every school I've ever been involved in, in some capacity, has some sort of a either a parent council and PTA sort of thing, or like a more official, like in, in Gwinnett, we have these local school councils where principals are actively asking, hey, like, give me feedback, give me input into how things are going. Do we have the right programs? Are we reaching kids in the way that you think we should be reaching them? And I think dads can play a big role as dads, as business leaders, as, you know, community partners in helping schools out, whether it's volunteering or just supporting them. Them for what direction they should go.
0: Yeah, that's great, Bob. Those are great thoughts. And I'm with you on that is that we're partnering with our teachers and schools, right? We're not adversaries, we're advocates. And so, you know, I, what I have discovered in the schools that we've worked with is, is there's a lot of openness that even if there's not a lot of invitation, there's openness if you engage and just take a step. You know, I would say even if there isn't, I think we still have to advocate for our kids, right? But I think a lot of our dads listening would be surprised at the opportunities they have to go engage. I've often said it's just the power of presence, right? When you're around, you attend things, it attracts more conversations. People are like, oh, this person's engaged. They want to help.
1: Yep. And honestly, like at the high school level and stuff like this, it sounds kind of crazy, but our kids really like talking to dads about what their jobs are. Like, what are you doing out in the world? And it doesn't have to be the fanciest job in the world. There are kids who are trying to find their way. Right. And they might not have like their dad might know and not know about the path you took. Right. But there are often opportunities through like career and technical education programs and like some of our after school clubs and stuff for parents to come in and say, hey, like, you know, I'm an engineer or I work in sales or I'm a communications person or whatever it is. And kids are fascinated by it because they're like, oh, like I now see maybe a new pathway I didn't know existed. Because really, as kids, you kind of know only what's around you and what you've kind of seen. But even that can often look like a dream out there. But once you say, hey, like, I know this dude right here, right down the street, and he's doing, I could do that, like, and it can fundamentally sort of change the trajectory of a kid's life without you even knowing.
0: it. Yeah, I love it. You know, I think one of the things that I've learned is just paying attention to what's going on and showing up, right? Because it's so funny to me, there are certain events that they're doing for parents, different things, and I'll show up and there's like 10 parents in the room when there's probably 10,000 parents connected to the students. And up. I- And being 10 in the room gives me opportunities to ask questions, have conversations, and forge relationships that I wouldn't have otherwise. Absolutely. And there's a real power to just showing up and speaking up in a nice way,
1: right? And we have to remember, I think something sometimes we've forgotten, and maybe we've forgotten it in general in society today, but we're always dealing with other human beings, right? And so if we treat people with kindness, if we meet them with it where they are, and we just remember, hey, if somebody showed up to my place of work, would I want them behaving the way I am? Right. <laughs> like, I think that goes a long way in terms of making us go, oh, like, how can I be helpful and useful? Now, here's and let me be very clear. I'm not saying don't advocate for your child, because if something is going wrong, like you need to be the dad. You need to support. But there are also ways that you can do that that bring long term success for your kid and the school. And then there are ways that just burn bridges. So always advocate for your kid. Don't ever have somebody tell you, no, you shouldn't be speaking up about whatever. You're the person who your kid relies on for their success.
0: Yeah, I love it. You know, there's two questions that I always encourage dads, especially in regards to sometimes challenges. Is two questions. How can I help and help me understand?
1: Yep, absolutely. Those if you do that, that's true. I like that. If you ask yourself those two questions then and ask those from the people you're talking to, it can really change
0: the nature of the conversation. Absolutely. So let's jump into. I know we're limited on time here. Let's jump into a lightning round and just get your quick take on these. We'll go back to something you were headed to earlier. Social media thoughts, Babak, You know so much about statistics and research and what we're learning about our kids. And you know, I think, and even for me specifically, in regards to my thirteen-year-old daughter, talk to us about social media and just some thoughts about what we need to keep in mind as dads. Sure. So
1: just like everything else. Everything is nuanced, right? Like, I'm on Facebook. I'm on LinkedIn. I like do, I do a lot of social media primarily because it's my way of communicating with my parents and my grandparents and other people about what's going on in my life, right? But for kids, there's just too much evidence that it's bad for them. And the reason it's bad for them is they haven't built their social identity enough yet. And so they're heavily influenced by people who they don't realize are being paid to act the way they're being done. So this is how you end up with those situations where kids are doing a TikTok challenge that they shouldn't be doing. This is how you end up in a situation where girls are taking pictures of themselves that they shouldn't, or guys are doing the same thing, right? This is where you have problems with people bullying and harassing, and sometimes not even thinking about it. And so there's something just to be said about like if you have a bad day at school, you should be able to not have that same bad day at home. But if you're all over social media, that day keeps following you and it never goes away. And it's just like, if you say a bad thing, that thing's on the internet forever, right? So the longer you can sort of delay that, the better. Just because I don't think there's a lot of good use for young kids in social media at all. And just there's just too much evidence around the mental health side effects and just creating disconnections and like, it's just, it's not worth it. So delaying that as long as humanly possible is a good thing. But even if you do do it, right, there's a way to do it really well. Like kids don't have privacy. Like they shouldn't have any accounts that you don't know about, right? You should be monitoring very, very closely what they're doing and who they're friending, who they're talking to. Primarily because sometimes kids get tricked into friending people who they think are their age. And you're like, no, that's some creepy dude. Like you need to like you need to be able to verify who the other person is and those sorts of pieces. So, yeah, if you're going to do it, be very actively involved. There are no hidden chats, right? There are no secret conversations or pictures and those sorts of pieces. But if you can hold off, the longer you hold off, the better off the kid
0: is. I love Yeah, I think you're speaking a topic, Bob, that there's a lot of places as our kids age in our homes where privacy is necessary, right? And they deserve some privacy. My kids know there is zero privacy when it comes to social media because my goal is to protect them. So I, Silas knows, I mean, say he doesn't have it, but Silas knows I can grab his phone anytime I want. and you know, I follow him on his social media accounts and I can pull it up and I can look at his Snapchats and, you know, I mean, we, so Silas is on Instagram, which he never uses. I think he has two pictures posted in like five years and Snap is where he stays connected with all his friends. So, but yeah, I'm with you. That zero privacy when it comes to social media is so important. Well, and here's what I'd say. Like social media isn't private. Someone else
1: is always seeing it. Right. And so if someone else is seeing it, then you have the right to see it, too. Right. And especially before it gets out there. And then the second thing is because of the addictive nature of social media and some of those games, the longer you keep your kid from getting used to it, the better. Right. Like we know how hard it is to like ignore the notification from our phone. Right. Well, a kid who has never had to worry about a notification on their phone. You don't even have to worry about that yet. You see what I'm saying? And so the longer they get used to that not being part of their sort of mental ecosystem, the better off they are in terms of being able to regulate themselves to sense what they want to do and not do and all those sorts of things.
0: Yeah, that's great. That's great. Yeah, and I think that there is this great thing called screen time that we have access to that we actually can control. (laughs) So my son, if there's a certain number of time, amount of time he has access to everything during the day, and when that shuts off, he has to send me a request to get permission for more, right? And he hates it. But I love it when it shows up. See, that's definitely one way to do it. The old school way is I'm just like, all right, I'm
1: just going to turn off the Internet. (laughs) Like I just go, I click it on the box. It's like, oh, sorry, guys. And they're like, the Internet's not working. I'm like, it is. I just turn it off. Like, we're done. And it's like, oh, okay, cool. And then they just go outside and play.
0: Yeah. And, you know, what? we have that across all our TVs and everything at home. Unfortunately, with the phone, it still has that cell service, right? (laughs) Yep, yep, yep. So let's talk for a moment related to this next lightning round topic. Just talk about daily access to technology, right? I mean, you mentioned earlier, there's a statistic that talks about there's a certain number of hours before and after there's a huge dividing line. Just give us a couple of popcorn thoughts on how much daily access. So it really depends on how old your kid is, right? So essentially, the younger they are, the less,
1: the less, right? Like kids under the age of two really shouldn't be near screens unless you're doing things like FaceTime and those sorts of pieces because it doesn't like they can't learn from it. And in fact, they end up sort of getting messed up. I'll give you an example. And this is back before I really knew anything. My son was one years old and we would always FaceTime with my father. Right. And so my mom and dad had come to the house and I was like, oh, you know, we call my father bubble which means. Grandfather in Farsi, right? And my bubble is here. And so Kava, instead of running to the front door, he runs back to our bedroom and grabs the iPad. And I'm like, oh no, oh no, right? But that gives you a sense of like what a kid knows and understands. Like he actually at that point thought that that was like his grandfather is. This is him. Yeah, that's him. It's like, oh, oh my gosh, what am I doing, right? So that actually caught that moment caused me to reflect on like, oh, hold on, like we're going to need to fix this, right? But essentially, the like at the very youngest age, like really none is better than anything. As you're getting a little bit older, the more interaction you have, the better. So if you're going to be on an app together, make it something that forges interaction between the two of you and those sorts of things. As you get into middle and high school, it really depends on the use, right? So if you're using it for school, right? So if you're like typing up papers, like that sort of stuff, like that's a very different type of use than if you're just like watching videos on loop or watching like summaries of different things, right? And so that's where time really depends on what you want. And that's where you have to be just really cautious of like, hey, is my kid getting enough physical exercise? Are they getting out and about in the world and all those sorts of things? Because even if your kid's doing really productive stuff, like my son just started coding and that sort of stuff, like super cool, but it still doesn't mean you should be on the computer for 12 hours a day. Like you need to go outside and do some stuff, right? And so really what I do is my sort of gauges, anytime that I see that my son is being sort of over attracted to technology, that's when I'm like, oh, I haven't gotten the balance right. Right. And I talk to him and I'm like, Hey, just so you know, I think you're addicted to your computer right now. And he's like, what do you mean? No, I don't think so. I'm like, yeah, you, you don't notice because you're the one in it. Right. But I think we need to do some things to sort of step away. And again, I'm helping him learn how he should in- engage with technology.
0: Yeah. You know, I love it, Bob. And there's so many questions I like to ask. We're running out of time. You know I mean? It's so funny because there, when I was a kid, there was no pathway for an Atari player <laughs> to, to make a living, right? I mean, today, technology is such a game changer that, you know, you used to be able to say, you're not going to make a living off of that. Stop playing it, right? But now kids go, well, I want to be a gamer, right? So, I mean, wait a second. <laughs> so, I, you know, I, there's a tension there. But I want to wrap the last question here on our lightning round. I'm going kind to of wrap a few things together because it is related to technology and the pressure that we feel with our kids in school. You know, I wrote down freaking IXL, <laughs> right, like that. But this test versus learning and our kids are overwhelmed and we feel the pressure of college frenzy and so much of our schooling has moved on to technology where a kid may never use a pen and paper, right? Like, or a pencil and paper. How do we as dads help just help our kids breathe and not become overwhelmed by everything that's happening with their education these days? Sure. That's like the
1: multi-billion dollar question. If I had a perfect answer to it, we'd both be wealthier and better off, Scott. We'd have solved the world's problems, right? But here's what I'd say generally. I think we all know that pressure around academics, even around sports, around anything in particular, has its place, right? It's like kids need to have a drive and they need to know that people want them to succeed. At the same time, when you have too much pressure, it can cause a kid to collapse. And it causes that thing that should be fun and engaging and something they wanna do to turn into this chore that everyone cries about and doesn't like doing and those sorts of pieces. What I like doing is really thinking about how can I make sure that what my child is learning is connected to what they wanna do in life or what they're interested in. Because you and I both know when you're in the flow and you really like the thing you're working on, it doesn't feel like work anymore, right? And the pressure sort of dissipates too. And you're sort of driven sort of personally, right? And so like when I'm at home with my son or even with my older girls, like the question was, hey, like, okay, I see you're having trouble on this math problem. Let's talk a little bit about how this math actually links up to what's coming next for you and how it makes sense in that context. And then all of a sudden they go "Oh, like instead of it being, well, I'm trying to get this done for the teacher. It becomes, oh, I actually need to learn this like for myself and for what I want to do next. And sometimes it's actually not about what I want to do next, but learning what I don't want to do next. Right. But all in all, I'd say, like, it's good to push kids to do well in everything, right? But we also have to remember that we can't live vicariously through our children. We need to give them the room and the space to play and to be themselves and to figure out what they care about. And most of all, we need to know that no, we need them to know that no matter what, we've got their back as dads, right? Like, they need to know, OK, if I fail, the world isn't over I can come to my dad and talk about it, right? But they also need to know that before I fail, I can talk to my dad too, (laughs) so that I can maybe avoid that mistake. You see what I'm saying? So it's a tricky world, but I think I would hate to be a child today because I think it's so complicated. But I also appreciate how much more, like, they're brilliant. Our children are way smarter than we are and are going to be able to do things that we never imagined.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. And I do think, Bob, at the end of the day, that anchoring of a dad that's there and present and working hard and... You know, we're not going to always get it right. And we can admit that when that happens, right? But our kids know, and at the end of the day, dad's here and he's for me. And you did, I did want one thing around the college thing. You said something to me recently that was really fascinating about how colleges are looking for a different student these days in the breadth of your experience, uh, much of which or a lot of which lies beyond grades. I thought it'd be encouraging for our dads just to hear that thought.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the sort of common, sort of calculation that schools are doing is starting to shift, right? It hasn't fully shifted because grades still matter. SAT scores still matter in some places, although some places don't even accept SAT scores anymore, right? And there's some real things, especially in Georgia around like the HOPE scholarship and those sorts of pieces, yes, right? But at the same time, like, especially for sort of elite colleges and those sorts of things, their applicant pool almost is all the same, meaning like They've all like grade wise stuff, like like, a couple points here and there, like that's not where you're really getting the cream of the crop or what you're trying to look for. A lot of those places are really looking for kids who have unique stories about how they've helped the world in some capacity or what they're interested in and how they've sort of dived deeply into those interests and passions. And it can be anything like from like, I poured myself into my dance team or my football team or baseball team all the way to like, hey, I land a clothing drive that had this sort of impact on my community, right? So it can be like all sorts of things. But it's primarily like they're looking for kids who are passionate about solving some sort of a problem, or really achieving and excelling at a certain thing. And so it's almost like the sort of sometimes depth is better than breadth. So you know, those kids are like in everything, but they haven't really done anything in all those things. It's almost better to go, well, like I went deeply in a couple areas that are a little bit different from each other. I'm like, here's a social service thing that I've been doing. Here's like a sports thing or an academic thing that I'm really into. The colleges are starting to look for more well-rounded kids who have a better sense of themselves and how to help the world around them.
0: That's awesome, man. That's awesome. So get our kids off of just finishing their homework at the end of the day and then going to bed, get them out in the community, find out what they're interested in. And it certainly can that, that lean into something that they enjoy that's a little different than just schools can be a, a huge benefit.
1: Absolutely. And it can help our kids find themselves, right? There's nothing worse than when you send a kid to college and they don't know why they're there, right? Or you send them to trade school and they're like, I'm only doing this because I have to. Like, We really want kids to be able to know what they like and dislike and what they want to learn more about because that's really what life comes down to.
0: That's awesome, man. Well, bro, it, I, there's so much more we can talk about. We've just touched the tip of the iceberg, but incredible. You've given us a lot of questions to think about, a lot of encouragement. I always like kind of end the interview with You know, we've got a lot of dads that are out here listening. We may have some dads that are listening to this or watching this in a brewery at a chapter or just, you know, on their commute or at home. As we end this, what's one thing as a dad and then also as a leader that lives in this technology space, if you could just give one final word of encouragement to dads about how we're helping our kids navigate the world of technology, that would be great.
1: Absolutely. I think the, the biggest thing that our kids and our families need from us is for us to be showing up. And just like literally physically being there when we can. And when we can't, having an explanation as to why not that makes sense to our kid, right? Like I missed my son's birthday this year because I was making a presentation at a board meeting, but my son knew what I was doing. And I had to, I explained to him ahead of time, hey, sometimes you have to do things that are important to a whole big group of kids and moving that work forward. And so when I came home, he was asking me how it went as opposed to being upset about me not being there that day. And we celebrated like the day before and after and those sorts of pieces, right? As it relates to technology directly, just be involved, like show up, be a part of your kid's life. And it really doesn't matter how, like literally sometimes like you'd be amazed at how much your kid just wants you to sit next to him, right? And like hang out a little bit or play some stupid little video game with them or whatever it is it can make a much bigger impact than like you and I imagine. And that's something that we're not perfect. I'm learning that myself too. And it is really easy. Sometimes you're tired. You came home from work. You're like, let me just put my feet up for a second. And you got some kid who wants you to play a video game with them, right? And your natural inclination is like, oh, we'll just do it later. But later never happens. So just go ahead and take the opportunity
0: and get up and be there for your kid. I know that's something I'm working on every single day. I love it. Be present, be involved. Great way to end Hey, I don't know. I know that you're out there on social media personally. If any of our listeners want to connect to you, are there any ways that they could connect to you online or someplace or that you're kind of doing some things that you're talking about what you're thinking about these days?
1: Yeah. So the cool thing about being named Bobak Mustagimi is that there's only one other one of me in the world that I know of, like literally another dude who has my exact name. There is one. Absolutely. But that you will not be confused as to who's who. He is like a club going, frosted tips sort of guy. So if you see that one, that's not me. But you find me on LinkedIn, especially that's where I post a lot about like the future of education and those sorts of things. So just look me up, Babak Mustagimi. I'd love to have you follow me, and I'd love to hear back on what you're thinking and wondering.
0: That's awesome, man. Well, thank you so much, Bobek. Dads, be sure to follow us on social media at the Dads on Tap on Instagram for more helpful content each day. Also, always like to invite you to reach out to me at Scott at dadsontap.com. If you're interested in launching a dads on tap chapter in your community, I'd love to tell you more about that. Or if there's any other way that I can be of help to you and serve you, I would love to do that. But most importantly, as we close each podcast, Dads, take what you learned today and let's go be a better dad.